Socialist think tank Origins is simply about socialism. What socialism is, what it means to people, and how it can improve our lives. We speak to people from a variety of backgrounds, both well-known and unknown, to find out what they think socialism is, and develop the ideas around socialism. Hello, welcome to Socialist Think Tank. Today I am here with Scott Robson. Hi, how are you, Scott? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure for us to have you on. So I'm just going to go straight into that big question that we often ask, which is, uh, what is socialism to you? So I knew this question was coming because I've listened to a a few of the, the podcasts and watched a few of the videos on YouTube. And it was the kind of the one that, struck the most fear in my heart because as much as um, I always refer to being a socialist or I'm a socialist I think that it means a a lot of different things to different people and so then to turn around and to put a definition like on it is um, it seems like quite a worrying thing for me to do like uh, but as I've kind of like thought about it and thought about why why I always say I'm a socialist uh, and thinking about like the the key principles for me it's it's more of a um what's the word I'm looking for um it's more about principles so for me um uh to be a socialist uh, it is based in the principles of looking after one another um basically about uh equity and um and rights i suppose um and i think that's the the main reasons why i kind of look at myself as a socialist and i think it's because um the word social in itself um and then to kind of equate that to uh, other people and how how i treat them and how they treat everyone else. That might be a very kind of narrow-minded view of what socialism is because it's such a huge thing altogether. But I think the most honest answer for me is um, that if you're a socialist, it's about not putting yourself forward all the time before everyone else. It's about actually taking a second to think about how how everyone else is feeling as well um, in either a specific moment or of time. Um, but yes, it's, it's a, that's, that's how, that's what I think of or the imagery that it, um, it stirs for me when that question is kind of asked. And it's definitely about looking, uh, looking after everyone as best as you can. Now, obviously I realize that you can't take care of everyone all the time. Um, in the kind of physical sense. But yeah, it's definitely about um, at least being mindful and thoughtful, caring towards everyone else in society. Uh, however you look after yourself and your immediate family and friends and stuff like that, why can't you treat everyone like that? And I just think that that just generates a really nice feeling and then a really nice like uh, image in my, in my brain for everyone to treat each other with kindness, respect uh, and like, go the extra mile for everyone. See, for me, that's a really nice definition and that's something I think a lot of people could relate to, um, especially when you, you kind of see this media image or, or a, lot of the, a lot of the time, like you'll have very right-wing YouTube channels basically describing socialism as evil. So what do you think when you, when you see those representations of socialism as being sort of an, a really negative thing? So in... In my work, um, was a, so I used to be a bar manager until very recently, and obviously COVID sorted out that that wasn't a thing. Um, but um, there was a person who used to come in who's, I, I love to death, politically run, very different ends of the scale. Um, however, we, over the time of me working there, we kind of found this really nice kind of middle ground where actually we could voice each other's opinion and we talk about it and um, we could. Uh, 
discuss things that actually I didn't like or didn't support and he didn't really like and didn't support but we could talk about it and question each other and have a really lovely conversation about it however he his nickname for me was the commie <laughs> and uh he, he'd always if he if, when he was coming through the door he'd shout for the commie and I think that's obviously a trope by the media because it's a way of discrediting something and I feel the reason that they go so ferociously for kind of the left or for people who identify as socialists is because I think it scares them and uh and if they can discredit or at, at least kind of stop people from paying attention to that for a little bit of time then it, it kind of helps their kind of um regime carry on um it's kind of like uh as a program i watch and they were, they were doing a political um sketch thing in it and one of the contestants kept us going look over there and that's exactly what it is it's it's just a it's it's just a diversion tactic it, it frustrates us a little bit because when you you look at socialism and I think everyone as well kind of relates socialism to places like China and stuff like this and and then even then I think the Americans have it wrong by relating it to kind of Denmark and uh, Norway and stuff because they're not necessarily socialist countries but they definitely have a lot of socialist um, uh, methods and stuff in place. It frustrates me when people refer to it like that because I think actually it's really a really pure thing in its essence. And um, when people kind of say nasty things about it or try and discredit it and try people to get people to turn away from it by referring to it as things that it's not, uh, is sad because I think realistically, um, I think that there's a good place between um, where these people are coming from and where socialist people are coming from there's there's some kind of middle ground there that ha that that does exist but where they're so busy saying no get away you're terrible you're terrible you're terrible that we're not even um we're not even ready to explore what what we could do together yeah it's it's, it's really interesting that you say that about those regimes like like China, for example, or um, or maybe communist Russia and things, and that's a form of top-down socialism. It wasn't really a socialism, really. It was a, a lot of people refer to that as state capitalism, where the state owned everything, but they still run it in a in a capitalist society. And and whether whether you can have socialism without everyone being involved and everyone being empowered, and I think that's the kind of socialism that like everyone I speak to. They want to see power shared and they want to give power to communities. And um, is that is that where you are as well? You you think that it should be an empowering thing? No, absolutely. I think the thing that frustrates me the most, uh, and I was talking about it at dinner just before, was that I don't for a second want to chastise anybody for, for doing well. Like, I, I, that's just not how I feel about it. I don't want to um, have a go at someone for being successful. But realistically, um, for example, Jeff Bezos is like sat on, on all on billions and billions of pounds, like 160 billion pounds. And there's absolutely no chance in his life that he will ever be able to spend that money. The thing that's sad about it is, is that in the current system that we have now, you've got Jeff, who did very well, started a business, was very uh, uh, um, innovative in, uh, and did, did a lot um, to, to get to where he was, but it was at the expense of everybody else it's, uh, in a way because he sat there with all this money uh, never be able to spend it and then he's got people working for him that are worrying when where the next check's going to come whether they're going to have a house next month and I feel like if you can look at that and not question it then there's something kind of categorically wrong and yeah yeah it's uh with with Jeff Bezos as well you worry that don't you because you know, does he really need that much money? Is it that important to him that he makes that extra bit of profit so that his uh, the people who work in his warehouses 
have to piss in a bottle. You know, that's that's an absolute and disgrace. It's, it's that money or the profit, like, uh, was, was shared and given back into the workforce. Going back to what you said before, it would definitely be an empowering moment because they can, the people that are working there are, are working, obviously, the things like piss in the bottle needs to actually not be a thing so but um they're working and then they're reaping kind of direct benefits from the jobs that they're doing um instead of getting paid like in a lot of places not even minimum wage and minimum wage is a thing different thing altogether like um but no i think i think something like uh, when we look at that kind of example if the if the workers are are getting paid correctly are getting bonuses or whatever like however the money gets to them it gets to them um even just that empowerment of not having to stress about where you're going to buy kids dinner or uh, how you're going to get to work the next day like will immediately re relieve so much tension and stress and maybe bring some more enjoyment back into into those people's lives Absolutely. Um, so it seems that like your socialism is really based in that fairness and that equality and that right kind of that absolute disgust at the idea that some people are so worried about just simple living conditions, a simple way to live the life. Have you always felt like you're, have you always identified as a socialist or is it something that came a little bit later? Uh, I think I've always had a kind of uh, an innate sense of, um, justice. I'm definitely a justice seeker, and I like to see that people are, are well. And I think I've always had that. So that's definitely came from how I've grown up. I mean, I come from like a, a working class background, grew up on a council estate. Um, I've got a sister who has a genetic disorder, and um, and the youngest of of three kids. My dad went to work, left him at eight o'clock every morning, and then came back in half past six every night and that was my dad and then he worked away for like two or three weekends um out of the the month my mom's always worked my, my grandparents worked like everyone's always worked so I always came from it you work hard you pay your bills that that kind of like family and I would think actually they were probably a little bit more centrist little probably a little bit more right centrist especially like in the 90s in a council state in Herbin. And um, I think when I, when I uh, grew, I moved to London when I was 18. I lived in London for four or five years. And then I worked on a cruise ship uh, and I traveled the world for five, six years. And I think it was actually um, moving to London and then onwards that my, uh, my focus started to shift to loads the, the possibilities that I had around me and then meeting um all different people from all different walks of life and then actually one time when I was in Brazil I was in Salvador and in Salvador they have like an up city and a down city um that's connected by a lift and there's um sewer grates underneath where all the homeless people live and there was a woman who was in her 80s and um she was begging for money but she was so thin and malnourished and sad and no matter how much money I given the very little that that money that I give I could have done um apart from buy a dinner and stuff like this but I just felt like she'd been left behind and I felt so lucky then to be from Europe um and to be from the United Kingdom but then when I came home, I kind of realized that that was happening here, just, and it was a bit more insidious. And um, obviously there are people living on the streets and, but the volume in Brazil was scary. And I recognize it's not like that to that extent in the UK, but it's still definitely going on. And I just feel like these people have been left behind and no one really cares about them. And that's because we're too worried and too busy getting on with our day to, to give it a second thought. And I think that's slowly when I started to shift my mentality around that. 
Well, that's a really interesting story about about Brazil there, and it's like heartbreaking, isn't it? The idea of a, of an up city and a down city. Um, so you know, from from that point of view. You know, you're talking about how it's a little bit insidious here and, and you don't quite see it. So it's not as blatant, I suppose. The the gaps aren't blatant. But you see, uh, during the COVID crisis, you've seen people um, manage to be the homeless people the first time around were housed. And during the second lockdown, they weren't. And, and that was during the winter. So, like, you know... Is that like kind of more towards that? Do you think we're in danger of going somewhere like towards that Brazilian type city? Well, absolutely. And I think as well, um, when they were housed, the media then got on that as well and started going on about immigrants being housed. Realistically, I, I don't care where that person's from. If that person hasn't got a house and we've got the fact that the facilities to house that person, then let's do it. Like, why can't we give? What's wrong about giving someone a fighting chance? Like, we're not saying you personally have to pay their bills for, for the next year. What we're saying is, is that we're going to, we've got the space that's available. We're going to give this person the space. And then hopefully in a month, two months, a year, that person will be in the position that you are now and they're looking on the situation of being out of it and having getting through that. And actually you as a, a, a civilian or a person should be proud in that the fact that you helped that person get there like and that's what frustrates me everyone was kicking off and getting really aggressive and um it was actually a lot of the time it was xenophobia and racism but when people say that we can't house our own well we can we've just chosen not to uh and and that's a sad thing and uh, a couple of years ago i went to liverpool and Bear in mind, I've lived in London for uh, five years, so this homelessness is quite, quite rife in London. But I got such a shock when I went to Liverpool because it seemed to be every corner there was someone, someone sat in a blanket with a sign or in a collection of a few people. And, and I thought, well, hold on, am I just not paying attention? Uh, is this like happening in, in my city to this extent and I'm just not paying attention. And actually I feel like Newcastle seems to be like relatively good at um, providing spaces for, the, for, for these people. Um, and there's lots of different um, schemes that you can join on as a person as well. There's a really nice one called Nightstop where you can uh, offer a spare bedroom to someone. Um, but I just think even for someone like myself who seems to think that I'm quite in tune to the situation, that you visit somewhere different or you go somewhere new and then it smacks you back in the face again. But in relation to the whole COVID thing, I don't know why we haven't done it again. And I don't know whether that's because of the pressure from the people that were complaining. And, and I, the first time around housing people, but I think actually it's about time the government grew some balls and just thought, actually, we're here to look after these people. These are our people. They're in our country right now, regardless to whether they came here illegally. And I hate that phrase because you can't come here illegally. Um, but if, despite how, that, how they came, we need to look after them. And the government is there to do that. And we vote for you to, well, I didn't vote for them to do that, but we voted to do that. Um, so... They should, they should be doing that regardless to these idiots complaining that our tax and our money and all that is going to waste. Well, it's gone to waste continuously throughout the years, giving contracts to X, Y, and Z, people who don't know what they're doing. And you've said nothing about that, but as soon as someone who is a person of colour or someone that looks a bit different is involved, you get really annoyed by that. It just really frustrates me. I yeah. I, um, it, it, it always blows my mind that people see um, a couple of people on a raft made out of uh, Coke bottles um, as, as more of a threat. Some children coming over on that as more of a threat than a billionaire who's, uh, who's forcing them into unsafe work conditions and things like that. It's unbelievable. Well, have you seen, have you seen that? I think it's a meme 
and it's three people sat around a table. One person is dressed really like ragged clothes. Another person is just an everyday kind of worker. And then there's a man in a suit. The man in the suit has a plate full of about 50 cookies. And the man who's dressed as a worker has one cookie. And the man in the suit's pointing to the guy in the rags saying, watch out, he wants your cookie. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> And, they, and then they say socialism is the politics of envy. It's a really bizarre situation. Um, so I'm going to move on now because uh, I know that you do a lot of work around pride and we had um, a, a Northern pride in particular, which I'm sure you were really disappointed when it was cancelled during COVID because it was due to be UK pride, wasn't it, uh, at that time? Yeah, so it was meant to be UK pride. Unfortunately, everything kind of had to get pushed back. So... Um, it was upsetting because there was a lot of work had gone into it, um, including the events and stuff beforehand. However, just because it didn't go ahead there at that moment in time, didn't mean it didn't go ahead. We definitely had to kind of diversify and went online. And then there was loads of other things running. So it's, it's queer, it's Gay History Month at the minute. Or should I say it's LGBTQIA plus History Month um, uh, in February. So we have a couple of things going on this uh, throughout the week and throughout the month um, on all of our socials as well. And then fingers crossed, hopefully we'll be able to get everything back up and running again very soon. So um, before we came on, we were talking about uh, a little bit to do with education that you're running. So what sort of things are you doing at Pride? And you seem to be involved in like an educational side of it as well. Is that, am I right in thinking that? So I, I tend to do the events. However, the events aren't just things like the main event that happens throughout the weekend in July. Um, it, they're like key points of like the queer timeline that happened throughout the year. So for example, International Holocaust Memorial Day, which just happened, that was in January. Then you've got International, uh, International Day um, of, against homophobia, biphobia and transphobia, which is Ida Hobbit. Then you've got um, Trans Day of Visibility, Trans Day of Remembrance, World AIDS Day. So they're kind of key points in our calendar that we hit every year. And we always try to do something for, for each of them. Sometimes it's really difficult depending on what day, what day of the week it falls because there's some days of the week that aren't great. Um, so we, for example, we did a couple of years ago, we did um, last, well, yeah, 2019, we did Ida Hobbit and we decided to do a panel discussion because we felt like um, as part of, uh, we, we needed to get into the community and kind of ask questions and be a bit more inquisitive and see whether what we were doing is what people like. So we decided to do um, a panel discussion where we got some people from uh, B, which is a trans charity, which is from Newcastle, um, we had a representative from Northern Pride. Uh, we had Gateshead Council. Uh, we had um, Claire from, um, well, she was Canon Claire, but she got promotion from um, the cathedral in town. And we had a discussion around um, phobias, um, but specifically phobias from within the community. So kind of what happens is, everyone sees the LGBTQIA plus community as like people who are all inclusive and love each other and want to celebrate. And for the most part, that is very true. Uh, however, there's like things within the community that um, are, are, are a little are toxic, I suppose you could say. And it's phobias towards each other, whether that be towards a gay man, a lesbian, a trans person, um, a, poly, a polyamorous person, a pansexual person, um, a gender non-conforming, uh, gender fluid. So there's like a big umbrella uh, that fit all these people under. But actually, some people, um, some people are um, hateful or have microaggressions towards different members of the community. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to talk about that and we wanted to look at um, how people, we wanted to look at how people um, react to each other and how people are around each other. And we need to, we wanted to talk and air out the, these kind of feelings. So um, we wanted 
each member of the panel to talk about an instance where they had homophobia from within the community, which is actually really interesting and unearthed like quite a lot of stuff because you have you have some people um, that are so desperate to fit in or conform that they suppress who they are and then th that comes out as a microaggressions towards everyone else. And it's it's sad and we, you'd think in 2020 or 2021, we we'd be past that but unfortunately with the way that society is and the way people look at the lgbtqia plus community is for the most part it's so much better but th there is instances where people are disowned cast aside um beat up robbed still that all still goes on um so yes so um that however isn't um exclusive to everyone outside the community so you don't have to be straight or a cisgendered person to be homophobic or transphobic or biphobic or any kind of phobia it happens within the community and um what what we need to do is we need to work that out and discuss why people feel like that and sometimes it's little things like a, a throwaway joke or saying something kind of off the cuff but actually it's perceived so much more to an, another area of the community because it's something that they feel on a daily basis and <laughs> in order to get unity from everyone I think we need to address what's actually happening inside the community first because we can't expect everyone to to accept us and understand us and celebrate us if we don't do that with each other. Uh, that's how I feel anyway, personally, that we can't expect full equality, full equity, full everything, if we're not loving and supporting each other within the community first. Because if you're confused or, uh, as a gay person or um, upset or like felt done, hard done by another, member um how can you expect anyone else to understand it and to accept it and to just kind of get on with it i think it's really interesting what you're saying there because i think as as socialists we tend to accept that just because someone's a member of a community doesn't mean they are representative of everyone in that community and i think this is where identity politics often plays into the hands of the right the right kind of invent identity politics i think because we realize that you know because of who they are that doesn't mean that doesn't affect their behavior it doesn't mean that's what they do you know people from different backgrounds people from all different backgrounds can be bad people good people they can be inclusive they can be uh they can be exclusionary you know th these things can always happen so i'm really interested in um have you got any examples of, of how people can be treated within the community. I know certainly like you mentioned the Trans Day of Remembrance as well. And I know that trans people are really up against things at the moment. You know, there's a lot of negative imagery in the media around them. Um, so maybe maybe that would be one area, but like any area you want really. Well, I mean, the, the area that is really getting it right now is our trans uh, brothers and sisters in the community. Um, and so for, for example, there there's a, uh, an area of the community, and they are still part of the community, called uh, TERFs, which is Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminists. And they, they're women, they can be lesbians, they can, so they can be part of the community as well. But unfortunately, they don't um, accept um, trans people or trans females as female. So they see them as the gender that they were assigned at birth. And it sometimes, it actually a lot of the time causes um, issues because I think from a, a community that uh, we, we, we promote um, inclusion a lot, it's a bit of a paradox because you will have some people who are part of the trans exclusionary radical feminist movement who identify as queer uh, and they're trying to exclude the trans community who are queer and just as valid. And it's the point where you're like, well, 
we we can't get rid of you even though you're the one that is kind of starting the fight um and we want to protect you because you don't deserve that to happen to you but then if we kick you out are we are we caught are we creating more of an issue now and that, that's kind of that's the problem that we're at and we need to understand i don't think actually um that um the trans exclusionary radical feminists or TERFs will ever change their opinion and that's fine and uh, they can have their opinion but they just need to know that i'm going to do everything in my power and we as a community are going to do everything in our power to to protect our trans brothers and sisters and to look after them in and this is kind of another thing where I, which kind of frustrates me a little bit because I, I, I 100% champion everyone having an opinion and putting it in their two cents and saying what they believe. But I often do feel as well is if your opinions are hurting someone, then how, how do I, how do I work that out in my head? Because I believe and support that you have a right to have an opinion, but your opinion's hurtful and damaging to somebody else, and I don't accept that. I think there's um, there's a lot of people who want to have freedom of speech but don't want to be challenged, and and I think that's where I think that's where we are with this. Like you know, people are allowed to have their opinions, and people are also allowed to tell them that their opinions are wrong and they, and they disagree with them, and and they're hurtful. And I think like you know, the we're, we're seeing quite a lot of uh, multi-millionaires with millions of Twitter followers. Um, seeing they've been cancelled because a few people have stopped following them on Twitter, which they haven't. You know, it's 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 actually trans women or like trans people who are being who are being cancelled by not having their voice heard. You know, that's that's where we are at the moment. And I think actually, uh, much like the right wing media does to kind of socialism and paints it as this horrible thing, for the trans community, it's exactly the same. They do they have the same kind of tropes that for, for, for them as well and and unfortunately with the kind of world of things like social media is like my algorithm strictly has me on uh like uh snl love a bit of saturday night live um it's got um a lot of kind of left-wing media in there which you'd expect and a lot of things about like gay rights and stuff like that and that's kind of solely what i get or oh, and occasionally i'll get a bit of brad mondo doing a bit of hair but unfortunately, I also have the capacity to look at that and then uh, I can read something else or find a supporting article or something someone else is speaking on it to understand that, okay, obviously this is the left-wing media is targeted towards me because that's the stuff that I look and I interact with the most. But you also have to kind of look uh, to see what somebody else has spoken about, or how else somebody else has addressed the situation just so you can get a full rounded view. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. And um, people on both sides, you could argue, but on, on the right, will look at the stuff, feed off it, feed off it, feed off it, feed off it. And it really generates this kind of hate inside and this like um, hatred towards everyone. And that's sometimes what the left at the right rely on is creating these like horrible um, narratives towards the left to, like I said before, discredit them or make them seem less or make them look like horrible things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think um, I think one of the issues that we have is far too many people are taking one example of somebody's behaviour, one person who who does something, and and like kind of generalising that to the wider population. Mm -hmm. And like, so someone might say this happened in a women's prison where someone identified as a trans woman and this happened. Now that didn't happen because that person was trans mm. that happened because that person was a bad person, you know, and, and, and some people can be bad people. That person might've been trans, but they didn't do it because they were trans. And I think this is far too often. And I think if you can use the narrative of like, well, would you, if a black person committed a crime, would you say that was because they were black? Well, no, of course you wouldn't. We're way beyond that as a society. Some people might still, but we're way beyond that as a society. Um, is, are, are they the sort of things that you, you're coming up against? Um, in relation to the LGBT community, 
uh, it's, I mean, the, throughout the years it's changed. So kind of what they've ran with. So now they're definitely focused on the trans community and making people kind of, for example, toilets. Um, there's, there was the argument around toilets and saying that people were trans, men were transitioning um, to go into a female toilet to touch people up. Now, the, just the notion of that's absolutely crazy. Like to transition isn't just one day you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm whatever I am. Do you know what I mean? It, it's a very long process going from the person, that person recognizing or understanding what's going on to them investigating it and then maybe going to to speak to a medic, someone like a doctor, and then going from there. It takes a long, long time and it's stressful. Um, and like I say, I can't speak from experience because I've not gone through it, but uh, from friends I've spoken to and people that I've talked about their experiences, it's stressful. It can cause great rifts within your family. And there's a lot going on and to, to kind of take that down to something as small as to go into a toilet and touch someone up, I just think, is a disgrace and I, and it's mad that people believe that yeah i think um i think if someone was willing to go into a toilet to touch someone up or to rape them or something like that i don't think the sign on the door is the barrier to them doing that okay. if they intend to do that they will they will absolutely go and do that um and plenty of men manage to rape women anyway without doing this ridiculous process and it's just you're right it's a ludicrous argument and yeah i just don't understand how it ever got got any any legs like to begin with but i suppose there's that theory that you the news you believe uh is it's more likely to align with your views on that opinion before you've even read it um so you'll see something you'll decide whether you want to believe it or not before you've actually fully investigated it and I just think that's a prime example, and I think it's absolutely madness. So the, the, this education that you're doing as well, um, so did that happen this year? Was that a, a virtual thing, or did that happen previously? That happened in person. It was uh, in 2019. And then this year, there's been a couple of other things run by some other people in the team um, where we've run a couple of education um, chats, specifically around the older gay community, um, so the old LGBT community, and talking about their experiences, older people, um, in things like healthcare and um, living by yourself and stuff like that. Uh, because the older generation, um, in particularly within the, within the community, do get kind of forgotten about, or do feel isolated, or do feel alone. And sometimes people now, and it's, I believe it's happening less and less because of the the social climate that we're in, but a lot of people in the community are maybe just coming out now in their late 50s, the, the 60s, and it's a totally different life for them and they're feeling a bit isolated and alone. Um, and that happens quite often. So we've been talking about older people, um, although I haven't been um, the lead or directly involved in any of those conversations, but um, it's uh, Northern Pride definitely take great pride in um in trying to address all of the areas of the community and unfortunately like uh the community is so vast that it's difficult to include everyone at any one time um but we definitely do try and then we take on board what people say from the criticisms or the um the comments and then try and install that into the next uh, the next event that we have or create another opportunity for that person to be visible. Yeah, it's really interesting because they are, they could be like forgotten people and it's great that you're doing that. Um, have you got anything planned for this year? Are you going to do it like in person? Are you still planning for the idea that it could be in person or is that something that's out? Well, at this moment in time, all them discussions are going on. So like <laughs> it goes on with so many people. Um, that we have to kind of get everyone together and make sure we all know where we're going before we start a walk. Um, so at this moment in time, I couldn't tell you, but fingers crossed. Um, and like I say, if not, there will be there will be stuff going on, but fingers crossed because I need to get out of the house. <laughs> 
All right, I'm going to go like a slight change in direction here, and and please feel free to to not answer. You may not have even seen. It, but have, have you watched it to sin? Yes, I did. Yes, and I think everyone's watched it to sin, hasn't it? Because none of us have got anything to do, and it, it was like for me, there was there were parts of it absolutely brilliant. So, do you think that was a that was a positive thing for the LGBT community to 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 see that? Well, I think from my view, um, yes. I mean. I think there could have been a couple of changes slightly because uh, I, th- I don't think there was a very good like lesbian representation in that as well. And definitely lesbians were affected during the, the AIDS crisis as well. And they looked after people too. So I think that was one thing that was kind of missed out. But um, I had to watch it over the space of about five days because my heart couldn't take it. And like, I am lucky enough to have been, I was born in 88, so I kind of matured long after um, the, uh, the epidemic was going on. However, when I first came out, my my mom was definitely terrified that I was going to have sex, get, uh, get AIDS and then die. And that, that was like a very real thing, even in 2000, 2007. Um, so it's definitely something that's, with the community and still is there now and I, like I think it was beautiful I think also as well people need to understand that what happened and the depiction of it was beautiful and it was really really good it's not the reality now it's like a very different thing altogether and you can live with HIV um you can uh, have sex um if you've got HIV so there's like um undetectable is untransmittable so you equals you um so if you're undetectable, you're untransmittable, so you can't pass it on. And I think it's a it's a very different world to the world that was depicted there in the 80s. Like, cause even watching it, like it was terrifying, like that constant um like sense of like impending doom or death or something was gonna happen. And when uh, Colin died, I was a mess. The Welsh guy was a mess. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a particularly uh, a particular tear jerker moment that one. But there were there were so many in that. Um, I've had a couple of people text me about this and, and say like, is is it a fair representation? Or did it do much for the stereotype? Because I've spoken to um, I've spoken to people about this who say actually, you know, far too often in the media, gay people are only represented on issues to do with gay people whereas gay people have all the issues that everyone else would have they have all the healthcare issues they have all the job issues they have all the work issues but they're only ever asked to speak on a certain topic and obviously we haven't done this today because we spoke long about socialism and we, yeah. we've had a had a section there but like the idea that the you know um that gay people are defined by having a lot of sex like there was a lot of a lot of that in there, wasn't there, in, in it to sin? Do you think that's a do you think that's a problem, or are you absolutely fine with well, that? No, I think that there there are people in that were depicted in it's sin that are watching it's a sin that could say like, oh, that that's that's me. I relate to that character one hundred percent. And yes, I have lots of sex, and yes, I do this. And there is people there. I mean, there's also people who aren't like that as well. But like I say, there's so many different people. I mean, not every straight person's the same. Not uh, every woman's the same. Like not every man's the same. Like everyone's different. So in order to fully include everyone, you'd have to have a lot of characters. Like, um, but I think it's a very good depiction of the time. And I can't speak for the time because I wasn't there. But from what I've read and what I've seen, um, it felt very true to what was going on there. Um, and they they used like queer cast members as well, which kind of I suppose added to the authenticity. Um, but um, I think the people it represented a good a good amount of people, and there's everyone watching it could at least pull something from it. Uh, so like when I first met Colin, I believe his name's Colin, the, the Welsh guy, I turned to my partner and I said, he's the one I worry about the most, just because he was like, so like genuine and sweet and idealistic and my, um, and like he was very green. 
and I said I worry about him the most and I was right to as well because I was absolutely devastated but people can pull from like oh I feel like I'm a bit like him because he's like this or I'm a bit like him so it's not necessarily the whole um it's not necessarily the whole character that you're relating to every single fiber of that character's being you can definitely pull little bits from everyone I suppose Excellent. Thank you so much for that answer, because, um, you know, I, I think there's a there's a little discussion around that at the moment. And uh, it's interesting to, to get your opinion on that, because uh, that's nice. I do. And I felt like there were so many characters that I could relate to in that. And I don't think you, you need to be a member of the LGBT plus community to relate to the characters. And I think that was one of the real positive things, as you say, like everyone, like, you know, can share character traits with people and the sexuality isn't the thing that defines them. Mm. But during that, it was a terrifying time for people. And I just couldn't imagine going through that. It must have been absolutely awful. You know, such yeah. an awful thing. Yeah, still to this day, at 32 years old, it is the one thing that's still, um, well, actually, it make, if, I, if I think about it, it really plays around in my head about what would happen if, had I been alive then. Um, and like I said, I'm pleased now because... I think you should always uh, use protection or be careful whenever you're having sex, but then there's testing and stuff available now. And there's a lot that the, the medic medicine's a lot more advanced to, so you wouldn't be in the same position necessarily that they found themselves in. However, still always, always be careful. <laughs> so I'm going to move on now to the, to the last section, which is um, what are your hopes for the future? So you're doing all this work, you're trying to help people, you're trying to educate. What do you hope to achieve? And, you know, like, what, what are your hopes for the future? What can we do? So what I truly want would take a long time to get there. Um, what I really like is for people to, to stop judging people instantly when, when you see them or based on a small minute, like, part of their personality or their appearance and to to get to know the person like truly I mean you still might not like them and that's fine <laughs> that's however at least you, you you took a second and you took a breath and you you give that person a chance because you'd be upset if someone immediately came and said I don't like you so I think that's what I truly like as and it's just for everyone to kind of stop making ridiculous kind of um what's the word I'm looking for so like um decisions on people um based on one small thing and to to just give everyone a chance because I feel like once you you want to give someone the opportunity and the chance and you can like feel it in inside like so when I was at work um someone would come in to ask for something and I'd show them the table I'd give them this that and I'd be chatting to them and then I'd get this little feeling in my heart when I felt like I was doing something nice for them and like and it's that's the feeling I want everyone to have it's like a little buzzing just in your ribcage and when you're like doing something or going out of your way or like just offering someone something or giving someone a little bit of your time for a chat I just want people to have more of that. And I know that might sound really small in the grand scheme of things, but I think that, I think it's a really lovely place to start. If you can have like a, a need and a want and a desire to, to, to help anyone regardless, I think that would just be really nice and it will ripple effect like to everyone else. <laughs> So it's about taking those like small victories and just a, a series of a series of small victories to try to change minds and I suppose hearts as well. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, like the small victories are often the best ones. Right. Um, and if you do small ones, you've got more time to get more. Whereas if you like focus on the one right at the top, you'll it'll be you'll get there. But if you just look directly in front of you instead of looking all over the place all at once and just focus it, I definitely think that's the way to go. I think we'll definitely get there, but I feel like we're not going to, to move forward or get anywhere unless we, we kind of rejig how everyone processes things or thinks about things. And I think that's the only way that we'll, we'll connect in, in that way and potentially be 
uh, fingers crossed, more of a, like a socialist country. But we need to rejig everyone else's brains, thoughts, minds first, um, because I feel like everyone is so busy kind of looking at themselves and how they're being affected as opposed to how, they're affect how their behaviour is affecting everyone else. Uh, link them back in with it to sin it's like it was there was Thatcher's mentality wasn't it that individualism and everyone's an individual and you've got to be split up and stuff but uh, when you were talking about the ambition to do something small actually I think you'll find that a lot of people just want to do something small and the weird thing for me is where someone like you know maybe a young blonde-haired child named Boris or sorry uh, Boris um, is that his actual name it was de Feffel's the middle name isn't it but uh, it just decides that he shall one day become prime minister when he's a child. And I just think that's such, such a weird thing for anyone to think at any stage of life, I shall be prime minister. I shall be in charge. And, you know, I think those, um, those small goals are a lot more, you know, realistic. And why would someone have such lofty ambitions? Well, yeah, I mean, um, ambition is a great thing because ambition drives you forward. Like, um, however, like I say, if, if you're looking at the end goal and just say I was five year old and my end goal was that I wanted to be prime minister <laughs> and I was just looking at that, I'd miss everything else that was going on because I'd be so focused on getting to the end. And like ambition's great and ambition kind of helps drive innovation and all that jazz. And, um, but I think sometimes you just need to chill out and just like, was it, was it sit back and smell the roses? <laughs> you just got to chill out every now and again to just enjoy what's going on at this very moment. And I think actually that's where we're heading as well. I feel a lot, a lot more people, especially due to lockdown and COVID, are learning just to kind of just chill and in, enjoy everything a little bit more because everything's going on and everything's up and down and everyone's stressed and everyone's like nervous and anxious that actually people are just being like, right, okay, just for this moment in time, I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to spend some time with my friend or my, my kids or Jeremy or my parents and just chill. <laughs> well, that's a, I think that's a really good message to end on there because, you know, I think we do need to just enjoy, enjoy each other's company, enjoy life a little bit. And I think everyone's looking forward to that time where we can do that a little bit more, um, you know, so maybe we're not out of it yet, but we're looking forward to things like that. Thank you so much for, for coming on, Scott. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be seeing more of you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been lovely. We'll keep the red flag flying here.